Hello and welcome back to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. The Six Nations is already 40% underway, but real rugby is back this weekend with the United Rugby Championship. It's the Dragons against Ulster, the pinnacle of the sport. I'm sure you will all agree. Before we talk about that one and uh, the under 26 Nations as well, we have the main Six Nations event, arguably a championship decider to discuss France against Ireland. And with me to do all of that, framed as always by your Listener questions, plenty of them this week, are Jonathan Bradley. Hello, Jonathan. Hello. Hi. And Richard Mulligan. Hello again, Richard. Hello, Gareth. Hello, Jonathan. Great to be back with you. And great to have you. I don't think I said I'm Gareth Hanna, as I'm sure uh, most of our listeners will already know, hopefully. Um, so, yes, Ireland defeated then. The Grand Slam is gone. A good game it was, though, and um, there's little doubt about what the the main talking point was in the immediate aftermath of the game. That penalty decision was at 72 minutes on the clock, 27-21 down with the opportunity to go to the corner and instead Ireland opted to go for the post. Now, it's all very well saying, with hindsight, it was the wrong decision because Ireland lost the match. But Richard, if you could transport yourself back to that moment on 72 minutes when you were sitting watching the match and that call was made, in the moment, did you think then, wrong decision, or or did you think, no, I can see where this is going? I was watching it with my son, and he said to me, what do you think? Is that the right call? And I said, yeah, because you get the ball back. There's still eight minutes on the clock. You can go again. I think you have to remember there was a line-out in the corner, and Ireland lost it. Yeah. So you have to make sure you're going to win your line-out, and they didn't on that occasion. And Ireland have a habit of um, messing up at the key thing sometimes when, when it matters. I thought it was the right call at that time because there's still eight minutes on the clock and you're getting the ball back. And if you have confidence enough to get up the pitch again, which you should have, then there was still the opportunity for them to go and get something out of that game more so than they did. Yeah. Do you think it was just because of that line out that they'd lost slightly before? Do you think if if that hadn't have been in their heads, they might have they might have had that more I, confidence or Yes, I think they might have done. I think that may have been in the back of the minds, you know, that like if we kick the ball into touch and we lose the ball, then France might just hold on to it the way they had held on to it quite well for a period in the first half and uh, might have taken the game away out of Ireland's reach completely. Johnny, what do you think? What well, what did you think at the time? At the time, I didn't agree with it. I don't really agree with it still. Like, I understand the trepidation given the previous line out which was really a crying shame because it denied us a try being set up by a 50-20-20 a 50-22 kick by a lock forward which frankly just would have been would have been incredible I really (laughs) I was absolutely there for that to happen but um it was great I don't know I just think like you greatly by taking the points you greatly enhance your chances of drawing the game I don't think you greatly enhance your chances of winning the game. Like they needed to try to win the game before the kicked out penalty and they needed to try to win the game after the kicked out penalty. Yeah, so the only thing, the only way that enhanced your possibility or your chances of winning the game was it took away the need for the conversion if you were to score a try. Mm-hmm. But I think especially given the fact that the draw was as valuable in terms of match points for Ireland night, Obviously, it would have denied France two points as well as this, but like if it had been a draw, 
But if Ireland had have scored a try at that point anyway, they pretty much guaranteed themselves two match points because they would have got the try bonus and France weren't going to score twice. You know, France weren't going to score two more times to take Ireland out of losing bonus point range. So I don't really think that it enhanced Ireland's possibilities of doing anything in that game apart from getting the draw. I don't think it improved their chances of winning. And I think their chances of winning that game exponentially decreased basically every second after the decision was made to go for to go for the for the points. But equally, I mean, much smarter people than me seem to think different. So like Richard? Much like Richard. <laughs> Richard and John Hayes both think think differently. And the other thing that I find interesting about the way this has been covered is people saying and I think, like Brian O'Driscoll said it on the TV coverage, well, it didn't work out, so it was the wrong decision, which isn't true. Like, whether a decision is right or wrong isn't based on the outcome. It's based on the process behind the decision. And regardless of the fact that Ireland lost for the reasons that I talked about there, I don't understand the mathematics behind the thought process of the decision. Richard, what would you say to that? I want to get a fight going here. <laughs> if Ireland hadn't messed up the the line out previous to that, you wouldn't be having that discussion. Um, so they didn't back themselves to, uh, to to get the try. I still, it's one of those things, you don't know what's going to happen. So, okay, Ireland get the try and they're in the chance of winning the game. They don't get the try and you're back to where you originally were. Whereas if you if you, if you take the penalty you t- and they got the penalty, you, you are getting the ball back again, so it's it's up to you to say, right, now we're going to get this ball back. We've eight minutes, and it doesn't take too long to rumble up the pitch and put yourselves in another opportunity to even score a try and win the game. Mm-hmm. So I'm still still standing over. I thought it was the right call to go for the points. Um, um, there was enough time on the board. If it had been 75 minutes or 78 minutes, then it's a different situation. Okay. I just think that you get the ball back still needing to score a try, so I don't really understand. Yeah. Yeah. what the difference was like you, you had the ball you needed to score a try yes there's eight minutes so you're going to get the ball back but you're going to get the ball back still needing to score a try you've a lot to work to do yeah. to get into the position that you're in at that yeah. moment and having a penalty and a chance to go to the corner um, you can also make the argument I suppose if you wanted to that a draw with Ireland still to play Italy and with France having already played Italy you greatly enhanced your chances of Winning the overall championship, I yeah. suppose. Yeah, and I, and and I would and I would say that that was something that was not in the players' minds on the pitch at the time. To be fair, you probably weren't thinking you probably weren't thinking that far down the line. To be honest, mm. to be honest, but Jonathan, you're right. I mean, you know, Ireland came away from France with a losing bonus point and fair play to come away with two points. As Jonathan rightly says, you've just played who are perceived to be the main challengers for the title. You're now in the hot seat and have an advantage to go on and win this championship which Mm. is what inevitably you want to do do you think like we're so used to seeing Ireland in similar positions under Rory Best and Johnny Sexton as well going for the corner like I think as soon as the penalty was given you sort of thought oh well they'll definitely go to the corner do you think it would have been different if Sexton had been on the pitch Mm. I think that's very hard to say because the reality of the situation is, and I think it goes back to Ireland beating the All Blacks in Chicago, and Roy Best has actually spoken about this um, before as well. There was almost like a demarcation point with that game where Ireland just started going part. Now, part of this was based on the fact that their line-out reached historic levels of success under Drew Schmidt, their ability to turn line-outs 
in two tries and the percentage of their tries that they scored off the line. But I think that is what makes it sort of jarring to see as well, because like you say, Garth, we have got so used to seeing Ireland go for the corner at all times. Like Ireland don't re- Ireland don't build a score through knocking over penalties. And then, which I suppose somewhat ironically is actually what France did, because you have to remember while Ireland lost the game, they won the try count, they scored more tries. So that was basically by taking their points virtually every time they were offered to them, uh, France, I mean. Yeah. So an interesting stylistic point to look at going forward. The other big talking point, Richard, that I think really has only emerged in the last day or so when video was put up on social media, I think it was just from the actual Six Nations account, wasn't it, of like the overhead video angle of France's opening try when uh, a lot of Ireland fans were, I think, our very own Ian Frizzell got uh, a lot of retweets by immediately pointing out that Entomac's pass looks very much in that angle. Like, it uh, it may have gone forward. What do you think of it? Yeah, and that's an interesting angle to look at it from. And, and I mean, when they scored, it, it never even crossed my mind from the various angles that I saw from the TV coverage that it had gone forward at all. I think we were just in awe of, well, there's, your, there's, the, two, there's the French halfbacks doing a bit of magic again. Yeah. Um, and certainly, it's about momentum and the ball travels probably a little bit forward. Now, if you're saying the ball travels a little bit forward, you're saying that's a forward pass, but I don't think you can. You can read that there's an allowance for momentum in the game. And I think it's a really tricky one. And I mean, I would like to see it again and again and again, and then see all the other angles as well, because I think it, it, yeah. it's one of those ones. And I think we're grasping at straws. Look, at the end of the day, the on-field decision was it was a try. And 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 how, how many angles do you need to look at it before you decide to give a try? We'll be spending 10 minutes. Can we review yeah. it and review it and review it? Look, um, it's marginal. It's marginal. <laughs> Yeah, in my opinion, it's marginal, and uh, as I say, at the time, I never, I've never even crossed my mind at the time. I just thought it was a, I just thought it was a good try. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about it, obviously, on social media, Johnny, and a lot of people yeah. coming up with these different angles and and are like shifting the angle of the video themselves. So you're looking straight across at it and drawing lines across the pitch and all the rest of it. And as Richard rightly says, it looks very marginal. But as well, there's plenty of talk about sort of the. Uh, as Richard hints at the uh, intricacies of the the law now on that, can you just sort of and that alliance for momentum? Can you sort of just um, give us uh, a little sort of uh, explanation as to what exactly that is? Well, it's just the direction that the ball comes out of the hands, and then so whether it goes backward out of the hands and momentum takes the ball forward, or whether the ball is yeah. thrown forward, thrown forward essentially. Yeah, it's interesting because it's like. Even just scrolling through Twitter while we're doing this, like I, I keep seeing these different like freeze frames and stuff from different, yeah. uh, you know, different milliseconds of the play, and because uh, it's much like yourself, it was from uh, it was from Ian that I first saw this uh, yesterday, and then it, now it's absolutely everywhere. But like Nigel Owens has had his say now, saying that he thinks it looks like it may have gone forward, but it is a tight one. So we we do have the thoughts of uh, of a renowned referee weighing in here rather than just like. <laughs> Different, different Irish fans freeze framing yeah. different uh, moments. I, like much like Richard, I didn't think of it at the time, but then that is the angle, I suppose. You know, if you're relying on the angle of the replay and the replay doesn't show that angle, then you're not going to pick up on it. But 
have to say, like Johnny, there, I'm watching it again now as we speak. And when you look at it again, you're kind of going, <laughs> it does look as though it has gone forward now. <laughs> it's just, the, as you say, Johnny, the way you look at it. Um, and yet you look at another one, you go, no, nah, it's not. It's, uh, and now Nigel owner's way then. Nigel's better just feeding the cows, you think, at this moment in time. <laughs> yeah, a, a very interesting one that people can uh, have a look at on social media and see all the, the chat about that. But if we uh, we move on then from Schrodinger's pass uh, to the, the game in general, we've talked about how good that opening France try was and it, it probably was a, a, a fitting start to what became a really good game and um, well followed up by that Mac Hansen uh, try, Jonathan, which was uh, pretty remarkable for, for his efforts. And um, I'm sure if you were a, a French defender, you wouldn't have been overly enamoured by it either, though. No, just a little bit of um, lack of communication, I suppose, in the, in the restart between two players that you really don't think of as the type to make those sorts of mistakes. But like Ireland really, really needed that try at that moment because, you know, at that point they were 10 nothing down and they like they were really, really rocking at that point to get it back to 10-7 and then even to, you know, even the score at half time still sort of felt like on the balance of play, Ireland would have taken it. Mm. Now, obviously they did really, really well to turn things around in the second half and get a foothold in the game. But like, other than that uh, moment from Hansen, it really didn't seem like Ireland were going to score at all in that first half. Mm-hmm. I often, I mean, I actually wonder was it was it a pre-plan? Was it a move that they had used on the on the training ground? Because Carbridge kick was right out on the touch line, and in some ways, you kind of thought, is that a is, is that a planned move? And I thought maybe it, it may have been. Uh, I didn't get the opportunity to ask, I suppose, but um, it was one of those ones where. Was it opportunistic or was it actually a very well thought out move? It's not one you see very often, to be fair. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. And remarkable for for Hansen, Richard, who's had a, a really good start. Obviously, he was thrown in um, against Wales very unexpectedly, but he's, uh, well, what have you made of him in those two games? Yeah, he's been very, he's been very impressive. It's, just, it's basically Jacob Stockdale all over again in many respects. Um, when you think of when he when he broke into the Irish team in the Six Nations, um, we always knew he was a good rugby player, and and I think, you know, you kind of, you sometimes kind of feel we've got an overseas player has come in, he's Irish qualified, and we're playing him ahead of some of our homegrown talent. And there may have been a few questions asked about that before the Wales game, but. His impact in that game was fantastic. You kind of went, yeah, well, look, that's the kind of player we need to have on the pitch. And um, he he delivered. And he probably didn't get into the game as much. I thought both wingers didn't get into the game as much as they would have liked against France. But then I think that was, again, as to who you were playing and how and how things were going. You were in the back foot for a lot of it. But he has been very good. And and um, he um, he's a nice guy when you listen to him. Um, and, and he's grateful for his opportunity here. Um, and... I think Ireland are Ireland are the better for having him. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have seen, and he's got great hair too. Uh, it shouldn't be forgotten. <laughs> he, uh, I have seen some chat about that. Obviously, he's born in Australia, but um, qualifies for Ireland through his his mom, who's from Cork. So there has been some chat on social media about about that, and a lot of people sort of uh, sticking up for him as well, and telling other people to to pipe down on that on that one. So um, that first half in general, then Johnny, you had mentioned that. Ireland doesn't look like scoring too often and potentially a lot of that down to some uh, indiscipline which certainly didn't help their cause 
No, well, you know, we're talking about a side that didn't give away a penalty for near an hour of their game against uh, Wales in week one. And then that first quarter was really quite indisciplined from Ireland. But so much of that's down to pressure. And that was the thing that I thought was really just the real takeaway for me was just the pressure that France were able to exert on Ireland. We've talked so much about what Paul O'Connell has brought to Ireland in terms of increasing the ruck speed, giving Jameson Gibson Park this opportunity to lift the tempo by providing quick ball. But France slowed it down so, so much, especially in that uh, first half that Ireland couldn't really um, get to grips with the game. You know, Gregory Alder was man of the match. I thought he was superb. As he was the week before, I thought he was probably actually man of the match the week before for France. But um, obviously, when a winger scores a try, you've not not got much hope of uh, of getting <laughs> getting that when you're a back row forward. Like, but um, thought he was superb. The the French pack in general, superb. Like you talk about the penalties, obviously, some of them at the at scrum time. Andrew Porter really getting a massive massive test from massive being the operative word from Antonio. <laughs> which to me is probably a good thing for Ireland because Andrew Porter's been so good. I think he's shown the potential at 26 years old to go on to be really a world-class loose head mm. back in that position where he, where he first came through the ranks. But to get that sort of test from that sort of um, front row, we'll, we'll stand to him and we'll stand to Ireland. But um, all of these things kind of contributed to Ireland giving away a lot of penalties in the first half. But like, the other thing that we have to say is in the end, they only give away 10 in total, which is sort of right bang on that number that you would look at as a target. And it was because they massively cleaned things up in the second half. They adjusted to what France were doing more in the second half. They uh, found ways to work around what France were doing. I don't think France was good in the second half. That has to be said as well, but credit to Ireland for the part that they played in that. And to me, without wanting to sound too optimistic about a game that Ireland lost. Like we didn't know if this was an Irish team that could chase a game because they hadn't had to, they hadn't had to. We didn't know how they were going to do in particularly close games because we hadn't seen them in a great deal of them. Like I I know New Zealand came back into the game in November, but like other than that game against Scotland with the Johnny Sexton penalty later on, um, at the very start of this winning streak, the next closest game in terms of margin in the scoreboard had been beating Japan in the summer by eight. So I think we saw them in a close game. I think that experience is a positive as well. And I suppose just the reality of the situation is France are one of the best teams in the world. They're going to Paris. It's difficult. Yeah, I would agree with you, Jonathan. For me, it was about how Ireland came back into that game. And you know what? They had, they did have their foot on France's throat at that stage when they came right back to within a point. And I actually thought at that point, they're actually going to go and win this game um, because they had got the momentum and everything was going with them and they just weren't able to to finish it off. But the thing for me is that, and you're looking at a World Cup as well to a certain degree. The World Cup, we're only a year out from the World Cup. And yes, people are saying that France and Ireland maybe are peaking too early here. France are one of the best teams in the world at the moment. France and Ireland have both beaten New Zealand in recent times in November. Um, for me... You take an awful lot of positives out of that. I didn't expect Ireland to go to France and win, but I thought it would be a close enough game. And I had made a prediction in our forecasting of it been less than seven points. And it, okay, it worked out for me this, t- this time around. But 
that's, that's a positive why, that's for me. Bad to see them take the points. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the truth is out now. <laughs> there was a bias in there. Um, but for me, if you're looking forward and you're able to see squad players coming into it as well, I know you're probably going to talk about that later on, but Ireland took a big step forward. Um, for me, looking ahead, looking down the road, looking to the future. Yeah, and, and we'll do that in a little minute um, because obviously the attention is already beginning to switch to the World Cup after that defeat. But before we do that, another couple of players we just wanted to talk about. Obviously, we should talk about the only Osterman that made his way into the squad on Saturday and Ian Henderson, who came back, uh, came off the bench to get his, his first rugby in um, quite some time. And uh, what did you make of him, Johnny? I thought he played really well. I thought he played really, really well. You probably saw an awful lot of his best attributes in that game and then even a few more that we don't uh, readily associate with him, including that uh, that offload. But I thought he made a real impact. Like it was, it was disappointing for Ireland in the sense that he was replacing a replacement and Shane, who was also really, really good, um, was replacing Kelleher so early that it meant that Ireland lost a lot of the planned impact that they were expecting to get from the bench in that last quarter. And then maybe that's just why you saw France edge back a little bit in terms of momentum, because like Richard once went 22, 21, I thought Ireland were going to win because they had it that, you know, they had all that momentum with them, but just, I I suppose, you know, like I say, I thought Henderson and Shane were both really, really good, both added what you wanted, but just in terms of, when you wanted that impact from the bench and who you wanted it in place of, you know, they didn't want Sheehan coming on after 25 minutes and they didn't want Handy coming on in place of Peter Mahoney who had came on for Jack Conan. And Richard, then the man whose name was on everybody's lips before the game and it seemed almost nobody's after the game was was Joey Carberry. I think, as you said before we recorded, that was probably a good sign that nobody was talking about him afterwards. Yes, it was, and I thought I, I thought he gave a good display, and I mean it, it was no surprise that he did have a good that he did, did have a good game. He, he he's been part of the squad, he's played, he's okay, he's come through the long injury time, but I suppose maybe some of his kicking was a little bit loose, but he nailed the goal kicks when he had to. Saxon would probably position Ireland a wee bit differently on the pitch, but um, no, I thought Carberry was a he gave he, he gave a, a competent display, a confident display, and he was going to be in the spotlight. And I think Andy Farrell before the game was saying that, you know, yes, Johnny's key to what we do, but at the same time, we need to have we need to have our options because Johnny might not be able to play as we saw. And it's, it's important again, looking ahead to the future. I think though that it's a big call to make, but I think Carby needs to be playing against Italy. Mm-hmm. And I think he needs to be playing against England. Also, I think he needs to be getting get, get, getting more starts now. Um I think it's time now for it because there's been a lot of people obviously who have sort of come and gone. Billy Burns, one of them. Is it time now for Ireland just to throw their lot in with Joey Carberry nearly and say, right, you are you are the backup. You're the number think, two. Yep, I think that's what they have to do. They have to, they have to nail that now. Um, look, Jack Carty got a wee bit of time. If you want to talk about forward passes, you can look at the one that he threw at one point. Um, it, it was definitely forward. There was no there was no room for error on that on that call. And that's I a, felt bad that's for Cardi, like because I don't understand why you bring somebody on in that situation. Like if you're going, yeah. you know, what's Jack Cardi going to do with ninety seconds? You know, that's yeah. his that's his first involvement in the game throwing that pass. Yeah. And like, yeah, yes, he was pushing the envelope in terms of maybe trying to make the killer pass a little bit yeah. earlier than it needed to be made. But like, I think personally at that point, 
you know, for the sake of for the sake of ninety seconds, you know, Car- yeah. Joey Carberry's not so tired that he can't go another ninety seconds. Like I, d- I don't understand throwing a guy cold into that situation. Yeah. Either bring him on at seventy-two minutes and let him work his way into the game a little bit, or don't bring him on at all. I understand it would have looked bad for Cardi having not played since the World Cup if he hadn't have come on at all. But like, I d- I don't think you're putting anyone. Not I'm not talking specifically about Cardi, but I don't think you're putting anyone in a position, but especially at a position like 10, in a position to succeed when you throw them on. <laughs> you know, no, you're absolutely sat, right. You sat there for 79 minutes, and then you throw them on and be like, oh, we need to try going win the game. Like, Yeah, you're absolutely right, Johnny. And I mean, I think sometimes we see players coming on for the last couple of minutes to get that cap. If it's in a, if it's in a tour game, you can go, okay, fair enough, that's grand. But if, if you go back to the Scotland-England game, and the Marcus... The Marcus Smith decision when they brought him off, and I thought that was a complete disaster of a decision, and and, yeah. and so it proved. And last week, Eddie Jones let Marcus Smith play for eighty minutes. It may have been in centre for a wee bit of it, but he, he let him go the eighty minutes. And Joey Carberry should have went the eighty minutes. There's no doubt about that. And again, I I really with what I said. I think he has to start against Italy. Mm-hmm. And I think well, depending on that performance, he, he needs to get game. He, he needs to be starting mm-hmm. in these games over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I think Carberry, like I agree with you 100. I think Carberry needs to start two of the next three games. But I like I'm not just talking about Carberry in that sense either. Like I would no. want to see quite a lot of players, obviously starting yeah. against Italy, but also getting another start. You know, we talked about this before that before the tournament began. There's no point only giving these guys a game against Italy when there's ten changes, and then the team doesn't look like it's in a rhythm, and everybody says, "Oh well." That's because these guys aren't as good as the other guys. Because yeah. that's not the case. Like you can make 10 changes to any team and it wouldn't look in a rhythm. You have to give some of these guys a run in whether it be 11, 12, 13 first choice players and them around them. Because it's like we saw really with the France game on Saturday. It's a different world to play against Italy. Like they might both be in the Six Nations. But it's not the same. Like you need that experience. And like even Dan, you know, Dan Sheehan was talking about it. Like obviously he was thrown into it earlier than he would have planned. But you know, Dan Sheehan has played for Ireland before, making his debut in the summer, then playing again in the autumn. But like and even playing Wales. But he was like, this is a different thing entirely. Even like making the point that he hadn't actually been involved in that many close games because he made his debut for Ireland during this winning streak and he plays for Leinster. So the idea of a close game in the last couple of minutes is a relatively foreign concept to him. And even things like the set piece and trying to hear the calls and stuff in the Stade de France. Like it's, I don't think you can exaggerate how different a proposition games like that are. And like we saw with, with, you know, just using Shane as an example, like the next time he's in that experience, it could be a World Cup quarterfinal but he will have that to look back upon. And you don't want to be in this situation where guys don't have that a la 2015 quarterfinal. Yeah, yeah, which makes these upcoming games, especially against England, I suppose, uh, so important. And and especially with the Grand Slam gone, like Ireland don't have that to worry about now. Isn't it great to have the relief of not having to worry about a Grand Slam? But I Personally, I think France are going to win a Grand Slam, right? You, they, yeah. they might slip up. They've done it the past two years when they should have won the tournament and they've lost games to Wales and Scotland that you didn't expect them to lose. That could happen again. And all of a sudden, we could be talking about Ireland going for a title. And I like I don't dismiss the notion of a Six Nations title. Like yeah. 2014, 2015 were noteworthy achievements. Like it wasn't, 
you know, like on those days, whether it be going to Paris on the last day or whether it be Super Saturday that you were sat there thinking, you know, this is nice, but it doesn't really matter because it's not a Grand Slam. Like I, a Six Nations title is not to be sniffed at. I'm not dismissing it in any way. But you have to make a decision. Think, Are you going to prioritize a World Cup or not? Served thinking more about the future than thinking, well, you know, France might lose a game because personally, I don't think they're going to. I think as Jonathan says, I mean, France are the red-hot favourites now. There's no doubt about that. But there's only been one away win in this Six Nations so far after two rounds. Mm. And we haven't seen how France have travelled. And sometimes the French don't travel that well. So and they've got to go to Murrayfield. They've got to go to Wales. You don't expect either of them to to maybe beat the French, but it's still there to, for the taking. And I still think a Six Nations title is still a big thing to achieve. But I also think Ireland, I think there has been a culture change within Ireland. There was a lot of talk last week about Henderson and Henshaw being available. And those are two names that you would normally have had on your team list first. Um, so, no, you're not going to change a winning team to a degree, but I think you will see Farrell take the opportunity to give a few players the opportunity to play against Italy. And then I think he will base it on form then and make a decision, right, we'll go with these guys mm. again against England. Yeah. And I think that's what he has to do. He has to look, he has to be talking about managing a squad as to how you would do it at the World Cup. Because mm. that's the key to it at the end of the day is how you manage that squad when you get to the World Cup. Because if you do get to a quarterfinal, you're going to have two big games in your pool and you're going to have two games where you are expected to win irrespective of who you put out. Yeah. You want to have your best, you want to have your best set available for the quarterfinal. That you yeah. possibly. Well, while we're on the World Cup, that is the subject of the Donald's question this week. Aaron and France obviously might face each other in the quarterfinals. He asked, which has more room for growth? Uh, are we now at the point where Ireland would prefer to draw the All Blacks than France? Or will the All Blacks be fearful of both France and Ireland? And he says that is La Hebdomadaire Donal coming in from France, which uh, Google Translate tells me is the weekly Donald, which I should have guessed. I think France are further along the path than Ireland are. Like France to me started thinking about the World Cup basically the day they get knocked out of the last World Cup in the quarterfinals against Wales. I think it's easy for us to get forget that when we're talking about Ireland, like after two rounds of the Six Nations last year, so exactly one year ago, we were all sat wondering what direction Ireland were going in and what was happening with them. So Ireland to me still has more still have more potential for growth because they're not as far into their journey as France are. I still think that come 2023, France are going to be better because they have better players and they have more players to select from. And when I say better players, I'm not being disparaging towards Ireland, but like France have the best player in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And Richard, very, very quickly, because we, we yeah. need to move on to Ulster, of course, but yep. would you prefer to draw the All Blacks than, than France looking ahead to the World Cup? Um I seem to remember us having this conversation in 2019. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, it might be better to play the All Blacks in South Africa. Yeah. And then being sat there as the yeah. All Blacks, ran, uh, you know, ran up 40-odd points. Yeah, yeah. I think there's there's no doubt um, Ireland have... The World Cup's in the Northern Hemisphere this time around. So I think that is something you have to bear in mind. France and Ireland have both beaten the All Blacks. They're, I think when it comes to a World Cup, it's... It is the luck of the draw. You need to put yourself in a position where you're going to be winning the pool. Um, I think Ireland can do that. I mean, I would be confident they could beat South Africa in their pool and top the group. 
and then in a quarter final, it's one of those games, it's a one-off game. Yes, I believe Ireland could beat France and the All Blacks on a given day. Anybody can beat anybody on a given day of those top top nations. Um, it's just how you perform on that day. You look at England against New Zealand in the last World Cup. I mean, England produced one of their best performances and then couldn't back it up in the final, thankfully. Um, but that's, you know, but you know, I think better hope your neighbours don't hear that. <laughs> <laughs> the windows closed there. Um, but I think, yeah, look, on, on their given day, Ireland have shown that they can they can live with the best and they can beat the best. And, uh, you know, bring either of them in. I mean, there's an opportunity there for Ireland to make a semi-final for the first oh. time. And, 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 and it has to happen this time around. <laughs> There's the rallying call coming in from the uh, South England Ireland supporters club. Very good. The rallying call of, well, odds suggest it has to happen eventually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, surely they can't lose another one. <laughs> no, surely not. Surely not. So as long as they don't have to play Japan, that's the main thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I don't. So, Real Rugby, as we said, back this weekend, Dragons against Ulster, Sunday at 2 o'clock, and uh, a shed load of players back available for Ulster again. Balakun, Hume, Larry, O'Toole, Timoney, Treadwell, all have been released from Ireland to play in this game, and then five players back from injury, Jordy Murphy and Cormac Izuchukwu, both uh, in line to potentially make their first appearances of the season. Tom Stewart, Matty Ray, Stuart Murr, all back in as well. So, Jack Fogarty wants to know, are we expecting a lot of rotation then for the Dragons game? Will Dave McCann get a run out? Big Jim adds with uh, more to select from. Can we see Dan putting out a big side to go for uh, a five-pointer away from home? So what are we expecting from the, the squad this weekend, John? Almost too many players, Gareth. You know? Almost uh, an embarrassment of riches. You never ever thought you would say something like that about Ulster in the past. <laughs> well, yeah, we started this window with I think Ulster had twenty four players available or something, and in the end, not even really because they ended up with Eric O'Sullivan on the bench as a hooker. But now, choices, choices galore. It's actually it's going to be interesting because you've got the all those guys that you mentioned to filter back in, including Jordy and Isachukwu, who haven't played since April and May, respectively. You could Treadwell back in. He now hasn't played in, what, near a month because he wasn't released for the Connacht game. Same goes for Tom O'Toole. So there's guys that need minutes. I would put those the latter two of those Ireland releases in that camp. There's guys that you would like to get minutes. Izuchukri and Murphy. Izuchukri and Treadwell obviously playing the same position. McElroy being out is a big one. He's obviously um, not missed. I don't think he's missed any games yet, has he, um, this season? So you got Balakun back in, Larry back in, Craig Gilroy still banned. So you almost you almost still have this pinch in the in the back three positions. Centre with Stuart Moore back in, Stuart McCluskey back in, James Hume back in, Angus Curtis did media. So you know, is he gonna be the is he gonna be the man <laughs> left right? The well, curse yes, of the press conference could strike again. Yeah, absolutely. Still no Cooney, so nine probably picks itself. And uh, sorry, well, nine and ten really with Duke and Burns. The interesting thing with the back row, really more moving forward than um, just for this week for me is um, how well Marcus Ray's played over the last sort of two months. Like, I suppose in terms of reputation, you would be looking at. A back row of Vermeulen, Timoney, and uh, Jordy Murphy. But as good a player as Jordy is, as 
great a career as Jordy has had up to this point and sort of forgotten about as well as he was playing this time last year, really from, you know, Christmas time of 2020 through to his injury. That was the best run of form he'd really had in an Ulster jersey. But all those things said, like, I think he will have a bit of a battle on his hands to get that jersey back off uh, Marcus Ray. And this is the kind of conversation that we have, and it always seems to precede precede somebody getting injured. But (laughs) right now, today, with all of these back rowers available, it's an interesting one. And somebody mentioned Dave McCann as well, because it's obviously going to be something that they need to look at to continue to get him the minutes that he had really in the early part of the ERC season so that he can sort of keep trucking along in terms of that development. Now, equally, Dwayne Vermeulen's 35, and we talked whenever he arrived about him probably not playing every game, you know, not wanting to run him into the ground, and then he's pretty much played every every game since he arrived. So there is an opportunity to give him a break there as well. But for me, looking at it now, I think the back row battle is going to be one of the more interesting ones over the next couple of weeks because it to me has the least sort of established hierarchy if you like in terms of selection from what we've seen so far this season mm-hmm. and Jonathan I suppose maybe Ireland will have a little bit of an input into saying we've released these players players who have been released and we expect to see them getting some game time because they will still want to have them match ready for a potential call to the Italy game, as we might hope we might see one or two of them get in there. So that probably will have a wee bit of an impact on maybe what uh, McFarland selects, not in the back row, obviously, as as you have alluded to. And it's interesting talking about David McCann because he was one of the players we talked about at the start of the season about where do we see him getting game time and, and, and the need for him to have that. Yeah, yeah. There was a question about that in relation to... The Italy game, Mark Muirhead asked, the return of those players mean that they're less likely to, to feature against Italy with obviously the rest of the squad being kept in for a training camp. But um, you're not reading that into it then, Richard. It's more just about getting getting minutes in the legs before that game, is it? Well, it's always one of those hard ones. You kind of think, you kind of think there's a culture change within Ireland. I mean, at the Joe Smith era, there have been very few changes made to a starting side. Um Whereas I think Andy Farrell is, is prepared to give people an opportunity. And I think I think Ireland need to make changes against Italy. And I'm not being disrespectful to Italy, but it's, it's an opportunity. It's in the middle of the championship. You still expect, you know, you need to take five points against Italy in the Six Nations to maintain your bid to overtake France if they happen to make a mistake, which which could happen. So you want to be in the, in the best position going into the last two rounds. I still think there's an, that Robert Balakun could get a look. Michael Lurie, I mean, has has Keenan really impressed in the two games so far? Does Mike now deserve an opportunity to, to, to really show that he can make that step up to international level? So I, I wouldn't write it out. I mean, I, when I did see the players that were released, I kind of thought, well, maybe there's not much chance of these guys being involved. But I I, I don't think that is the case. I think they might do and And Farrell would want to see them maybe in action this weekend when there's an opportunity to see them in action this weekend um, to say, right, you know what, Larry and Balakun have done enough and if they perform the same way as they played in the last game, then there's every reason why he would say, yeah, I'll give them a chance. Mm-hmm. And you can always load your bench against Italy in case things go wrong. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that Claremont game was the 22nd of January and the Italy game is the 27th of February. So 
for yeah. guys that haven't played, you know, the likes of Tomo Till, like that's a long, long break. Yeah. So you, you know, you wouldn't want to be pitching guys in. And from an Ulster perspective, it is Tom O'Toole because obviously the other guys played against Connor, but like you wouldn't want to be pitching guys in five weeks on from their last game into a test, even though it is a test against Italy, you know. True. true. That's that would be true. my way of looking at it. I could be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Have been known to be wrong before. Not often, I'll say. Once or twice. <laughs> so, whichever, whichever side Ulster do put out and uh, potentially could be quite a strong one, but um, whoever it is, probably going to be expecting to get those five points that, that Big Jim mentioned, aren't you? I mean, Dragons have one win from eight league games so far. They had a draw as well. And Edinburgh Stormers, Leinster and Ospreys have all already won at the Dragons with Ulster. The, the, the table's so tightly packed. They're what a point ahead of Leinster and Glasgow. The Leinster have a game in hand. Edinburgh just one further point behind. Munster, Munster six behind, but with a game in hand. It's all so tight that Ulster really need to be picking up five points from this one, don't they? They do, and I mean, this is one of the games that you'll you'll say this is one that you have to go and win. Rodney Prayed is a, it's a difficult, difficult place to go and play. Strangely mm-hmm. enough, and I know other teams have won there, but you can get unstuck at it. But it, look, given what Ulster have available, um, look, no matter what way you look at it, Dan McFarland's in a really good position here, and he can pick a really good, he can pick a really strong side, and he can have good players on the bench as well. Um, and I would be disappointed if, if Ulster didn't come away with, with five points from Rodney Prayer to keep that push on because they're in a good position in the URC at the minute. They've got some very hard games to come down the line um, and you want to be finishing first and second to give you that chance of a home quarter and a home semi-final in the, in the knockout stage, which is so important. Exactly. That is the name of the game. All right. When we look ahead to knockout games, Jonathan Stewart, K. Martin, uh, points out that Will Addison posted a video of himself on social media running up the steps of the grandstand uh, recently in light of the medical update. As we mentioned, there's five players coming back, but uh, nobody else mentioned. He's asking, is that just some sort of kidology, that video from Will, or is there a chance that he'll be back in time for the last 16 European games against Toulouse, which are at the start of April the 9th and the 16th of April they're slated for, um, presumably, we we know we've made no secret in the past of the fact that Ulster don't tell us an awful lot about injuries, so um, presumably we're not we're not dead sure. But the fact that he's not in that update this week also doesn't mean uh, necessarily bad news either. No, because there can be some confusion about these injury updates because like also don't issue an injury update in the way that Leinster issue an injury update that it says something, even if it's no update available on everybody that's injured. Ulster's injury updates deal with players that have got injured in the last week sometimes and players that are back in training this week. So, you know, if you're if you're still injured and you're not mentioned on it, it's not a bad sign or a good sign. It just means that you're not back in training and your injury isn't new. Yeah. Um, you could fully expect Will Addison to start a fullback this weekend, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> if it's there, I'll give you the money myself. <laughs> So we'll obviously keep our fingers crossed for Will, of course, as always, that he'll get back into action as soon as possible um, for the benefit of Ulster. Oh, a video from Jacob Stockdale there as well. So maybe Instagram's just the place to go for um, for Did these things now. It's clever, yeah. yeah. yeah um, that's what we need to keep an eye on now. Jacob sorry, Stockdale, of course, he was struck down by my tip that he would be the player of 2022. Yeah, and now he's uh, putting up videos of him walking uh, in... Uh, 
the Kingspan gym yeah. for a first time and doing so uh, very gingerly. So what can I you've say? ruined them, Gareth. Can only apologize. I really can. Um, <laughs> so, Jonathan, handily before we move on to Ireland under 20s, we have a little bit of an update on what sort of a Dragons team Ulster are going to be playing when they get to Rodney Parade on Sunday. Yeah, so just I suppose with the game being a Sunday probably hasn't helped the Dragons because while it is a follow week, Wales will then be meeting up for their game the weekend after that. So they've actually got no Six Nations releases. Sorry, I should make a distinction. Sorry, Ireland obviously play Sunday the week after as well. So that's why there's a difference between Dragons and Ireland. So, I mean, you've got the sort of frontliners like Ross Moriarty, Aaron Wainwright, Tim Bash and Will Rowlands, guys that had played for Wales that you wouldn't have expected to see. But the other guys in the squad, like Ben Carter and Leon Brown, they're not going to be released. So you're basically getting a Dragons team without any of their internationals. Or, yeah. or sorry, without any of their Welsh internationals. So the one Welsh international you could feature, of course, is Bradley Roberts, who Wales have had to release to Ulster. So some degree of irony there. Bradley Roberts has been released. Uh, why has Bradley Roberts been released, but no Dragons player stuff? Because Bradley Roberts isn't contracted to a Welsh side, so they can't keep him. Well, it's the same sort of thing that you would have had with Johnny Sexton when he was at Racing 93, then Racing Mentor. Like, Ireland yeah. couldn't physically keep him because he's not contracted to yeah. an organisation or an organisation that has a relationship with the WRE. There you are. That text and stuff that so long ago. Forgot about these things. Oh, yeah. So, uh, irony indeed, but uh, further good news for Holster then with another player released and uh, none being released to the opposition from the Welsh camp. So, Ireland under 20s then, plenty of good news for them as well because they got a late score to beat France 17 16 and keep their own Grand Slam hopes very much alive and well. They obviously won a Grand Slam 2019, were on course for one in 2020 whenever. The, uh, the pesky coronavirus struck and the championship couldn't be finished. So on Friday night, there was James McCormick, James McNabney and Ruben Crothers, the captain, all starting from an Ulster perspective, Adam McNamee and Josh Hanlon on the bench. Richard Stephen Kilpatrick uh, asks, how good were those Ulster boys in the under-20 win? People keep saying that Crothers isn't big enough, but he's been outstanding in, in both games, Stephen says. He ha- and he has been outstanding in both games. Um Size size doesn't matter sometimes, um, but no, he, he, he's been instrumental in this um, Irish under-20 side. And I have to admit, watching the game, I thought that it was going to be a case of Ireland leaving very much empty-handed. They had to work very hard to get the scores that they got. But um, on the whole, they rallied. And, you know, it's one of those things. You go for a kick in the last minute to, the, to, to touch, win your line out and, and uh, force your way over for a, for a winning try. It was brilliant. Um, the Ulster players have, have, have figured strongly in this side and um, Crothers is certainly one that I'm keen to see develop as he goes as he goes forward in his career. Um, and Ireland, Ireland are looking good for, for a Grand Slam. I know Italy beat England 6-0 and people will maybe think, oh, that must be a poor English side. This is not a poor English side either, I can assure you. We just didn't get the, the run of the ball as they would have liked against Italy. And Italy under-20s traditionally do play a little bit... Uh, better than their senior counterparts and you and you do kind of feel where do they lose it between under 20 and and the step up to the senior ranks but um, um i would uh, i don't want to scud the irish but i think we're looking we're looking good for an irish grand slam in the, the under 20s this time around and it's a boost for ulster to have these young players coming through and showing yeah. as, as they do 
Yep, there's uh, plenty of them. Well, plenty of forwards. Is it six, six or seven forwards uh, from Ulster? Yes. In the squad. Johnny, is uh, Ruben the one that's caught your eye as well so far in the competition from, from an Ulster perspective? Yeah, he's been uh, he's been very good. Um, admittedly, he should be a standout because this is his second year at this level. So um, it's obviously going to be interesting to see because we talked before about having watched him uh, at school's level and we've t- now seeing him at under-20s level where he's in and amongst his peers, as it were. So it's going to be interesting to see just in light of the, the back row situation that we talked about, it's going to be interesting to see when he does make that uh, step up the senior and sort of handling that uh, the different challenges that are going to come with that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you, you mentioned schools cup uh, there, the quarterfinals were obviously played on Saturday. The semi-final draw has been made, which sees inst face Methody. That's on March 1st at Kingspan Stadium and then Campbell will play Wallace a day later in the other semi-final so two games very much to look forward to. On a related topic Jonathan to the under 20s there Stuart K. Martin says Jude Postlethwaite despite not having made a senior appearance signed a one year development contract and that's been followed by a three year senior contract. He says is this unusual and bearing in mind that Jude is due to remain at Ulster for another four years what do you think he's going to bring to the, the senior squad? Yeah, the, like the length of the contract is, uh, I would say, is unusual. Like, like we've seen some quite tremendously long contracts in recent times, Nathan Doak being the latest, but these are all guys that we've seen a good chunk of. Obviously, Jude Postlethwaite was the, the most eye-catching of that Ince team of the last sort of Schools Cup that we saw prior to the pandemic. Uh, didn't get in to the academy initially, but like we've seen probably more so than ever recently. Now it's a new enough structure, obviously, but more so than ever that that's not a sign that a guy doesn't have what it takes at this level. Like Ethan McRoy being the most recent example of a guy that we looked at only getting a sub-academy place somewhat curiously and then went on to prove that, well, not just that they were worth a place in the academy, but even more. So if you if you look at where the available uh, minutes are going to be in Ulster's team, both for the rest of this season and over the next couple of seasons, it's obviously hard to see where those gaps are going to appear in the back line. Anyway, for a guy like Postlethwaite, but um, certainly I think a contract like that is a, a declaration of faith from, from Ulster in him. Yeah, certainly seems to be the case. So that is... Uh... Pretty much all we've got time for this week, unless you have uh, any closing remarks, Richard. I, I think I have to say, I mean, Harlequins Marcus Smith has been ha, has been impressive uh, for the uh, for, for the English side, and, and it, it, it'll be good to see him develop going forward as well. Oh, here we go! Somebody <laughs> sign the flags. Touching the eye. Or... <laughs> oh dear. So that is indeed us for this week. Then we shall be back next week to look back at the Ulster's game in Dragons. That's on Sunday at 2pm. And then as we say next week, we will have the next round of the Six Nations to preview with Ireland due to take on Italy. Fingers crossed we'll have plenty of Ulster involvement to look forward to in that one. But for this week, from Jonathan Bradley, Richard Mullion and myself, thanks very much for listening. (laughs) 